Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Good morning, church. How are you today? Are you good? It's good to be back. Good to be back. Nope. Welcome back. Thank you, Gene. On cue. A little late. We rehearsed this before service. It's supposed to be a little, 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 little sooner. A little sooner. No, truth be told, I was greeted with, this, with several different things today. It was, um, one of them was, hey, who are you? Um, one of them was, um, where have you been? Um, and I think I got a you're not allowed to leave ever again uh, moment. And uh, I'll, I'll say this, it, it is good to be back. I had the honor and privilege of sharing at our Lafayette campus two weeks ago, and then my family took a little vacation this last week. Thank you for giving me uh, some time off and away. Um, they say that absence makes the heart grow fonder. Um, are you more fond of me today than you were two, two, two weeks ago? Time away really does uh, bring some things into perspective. And uh, I'm, I was reminded very shortly um, on, on, our, on our trip and our time away that I really do love what I do. I love what I get to do, and I love the people that I get to do it with um, a lot. And then I also came to this realization that our campus really is the best campus. We won't tell anybody else, but, but we, really, we, we really are. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here today. Um, you picked a great day to be in church. There's some things that I feel like God's Word is going to show us that will help us um, in our relationship. For those of you that may be joining us for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, I want to help just a little bit set the stage and kind of catch you up on this conversation uh, that we've been having um, today. We've been in this series that I've called According to Peter, and we've been walking through line by line, verse by verse, Peter's two letters to the New Testament church. We actually started in the Gospels learning about Peter. Um, Peter was this guy that we can relate to. You know what I'm talking about. He was, he was the guy we read about that was often doing great things and then often doing bad things. His life was up and then it was down. He was feeling really good and then he was struggling a little bit. There was moments that he was walking on water and moments that he was sinking, moments when he was declaring Jesus was the Messiah and then moments when he was doubting that he even knew him and was associated with him. Is there anybody in the room that can relate to Peter? Yeah, we could. We could relate to Peter. And the crazy thing is, is when we read 1 Peter, the first letter that he wrote to the church, it's as if he's the different guy. He's not the same guy. I mean, he's the same guy, but he's not the same guy. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you had a story like that where you, you know somebody and they're different today than they were back then, right? I think that's the story for many of you here today since you've been walking with Jesus, and that's the story that we see with Peter. We're reading this letter. Peter used to be a guy that we could relate to, and when we read in 1 Peter, he's now a guy that we can follow. He's a guy that we can follow. Today we're jumping into 2 Peter. It is the second of his letters that he wrote to the New Testament church. And So now Peter has gone from a guy that we can relate to from a guy that we could follow, and now he's going to be a guy that we can become like. And I love this passage. I love where we're headed with this. Peter's letter, uh, the second letter, is really addressed toward Christians, and he's trying to deal 
with some things. He's trying to help them. The first letter, he was helping those that were struggling, living in a world that was pitted against them. How many of you know that this world is pitted against us? We don't live in a Roman Empire where an emperor is trying to crucify all Christians, but there are some things that the enemy is coming after us in our homes and in our businesses and in our schools and the way we relate to others and in our relationships. And Peter's helping us with that. When we get into 2 Peter, though, this comes three to five years later. This time he's correcting doctrine. He's a bit more direct. He's coming after things Christians are believing that aren't true, that he's seen wreak some havoc on believers. One of my favorite things to do is sit across from somebody and help them in their life. Sit across from them and and see them when they learn truth for the first time. How many of you have been sitting with somebody and they learn something for the first time? One of my favorite things, you can you can do this today, it would help me. While I'm preaching this, the head nod. Ah I love that. That's my favorite. My my second favorite is the elbow to the person next to you. It's, it's powerful. When you learn something for the first time, it's empowering to you. But how many of you know it is detrimental to you not to know truth when there's truth present for you? One of the worst things that can go in your life is to live your whole life and not know some things that are truthful about God and God's word. Believing the wrong thing about living a Christian life can mess you up. That's why you need to be reading the word for yourself. If you don't know this book for yourself, I love that you're in church. I love that you're here. I love that you're taking notes. But my heart is that you would leave today and you would open this book and you would read for yourself. Wouldn't just rely on Pastor Don or what other pastors up here helping you with your walk. That you would open this book for yourself. There was a man that approached Bible teacher R.A. Torrey uh, many, many years ago. And he was complaining that he couldn't get anything out of his Bible study. And he said, man, you got to help me. Please teach me how to study it so that it will mean something to me. And R.A. Torrey looked at him and, and he said, well, read it. Read it. And he said, no, 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 I, I, I do read it. And he said, well, read it some more. He said, well, how? And R.A. Torrey told him, he said, take some book and I want you to read it 12 times a day for a month. Take one of these books, and he, he actually, Tori actually recommended Second Peter um, to this man, our text for the next few weeks. And, and uh, here's, here's what that man later said. He said, my wife and I read Second Peter three or four times in the morning, two or three times at noon, and two or three times at dinner. Soon I was talking Second Peter to everyone that I met. It seemed as though the stars in the heavens were singing the story of Second Peter. I read 2 Peter on my knees, marking passages, teardrops mingled with the crayon colors, and I said to my wife, see how I've ruined this part of my Bible. Yes, she said, but as the pages have have been getting black, your life has been getting white. And that's so powerful that we could do that. And I want that for all of us. I want the pages of your Bible to be absolutely worn down so that your life absolutely is not. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who once said, a man that has a a Bible falling apart is a man who uh, has a life that isn't. If your Bible's falling apart, chances are your life 
isn't. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to jump right into 2 Peter. I'm going to go line by line and verse by verse as if you and I were sitting at a coffee table and we were talking about what Peter had written. And Peter wastes no time jumping right into this letter and helping to correct some things that have gotten off course early in the church. Let's look at this. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to go through verses 1 and 2. Right here, Simon Peter. Now, I know when you use your middle name, your, mom, your mama used your middle name, you were in trouble. This, this is not Peter's first and middle name. This is his birth name, Simon, and the Jesus name that he was given. Jesus gave him a, a name. So no longer you're going to be called Simon, you're going to be called Peter. How many of you received a new name when God came into your life? You, you were the same person, but you weren't the same person. This is Peter reminding us of that. I had a life of who I was, but I'm also the person that Jesus has made me today. Simon Peter. Look at this. A servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. You don't see both of those words side by side often. Imagine that you and I were in Manhattan and we walked into a corporate high-rise. And we walked in and, and there in the foyer of this corporate high-rise was a man with a mop bucket mopping the floor. And he had a, a shirt with a name tag, and it had his name on the shirt, and he had a whole bunch of keys on a key ring attached to his waist, and, and he was mopping the floors, and we went up and talked to this man, and, and as we were talking, he introduced himself as both the janitor and the CEO of that corporation. That's what Peter's doing here. He's coming and saying, listen, I'm not going to forget the two roles that I have here in the kingdom. Yes, I'm an apostle. Yes, I walked with Jesus. Yes, there's no rank higher than an apostle. But honestly, I'm a servant. I am a servant. That word servant that he uses here, it's doulos. It, it really means slave. It means love slave. It, it echoes the, the sentiment and the example that Jesus set for us when he said, the greatest among you must be the servant of all. And I want to tell you, Peter's trying to help us. If your position as a Christian doesn't position you as a servant, then I got news for you. You're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. We don't obtain this level or these tiers or this, this arrival that automatically disqualifies us from doing other things to help people. Right off the bat, Peter's saying, I'm a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Look at this. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't miss how powerful that is. Remember, he's not writing to an elite group of Christians. He's not writing to the SEAL team of, of those of the faith. He's writing to all Christians everywhere as an apostle. And here's what he says. To those of you that have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. That's powerful. That's powerful. The Greek word there literally means equal honor. The, the same word that they would use to describe a foreigner who had been given the same citizen status as somebody who was native. We don't know much about that in America because we're a, a, a nation of immigrants. But there are countries in the world where the native born have different rights and different privileges and different accesses. And the expats, the, those that come from another country, are treated differently. There's a different set of rules and a different set of laws. And that's what he's talking about. In the Christian faith, there are no those who have certain access and those who don't have access. Everybody in Christianity has equal access as a result of their faith. How many of you are grateful for that equal access? 
I want you to look over your neighbor and say, I have the same access as Peter. Now apologize to your other neighbor who you keep ignoring every time I ask you to talk to, to your neighbor. They have equal access too. It's not just the person next to you as well. From here, Peter sets us up to understand not just that we're all of equal standing, but that standing doesn't come from us. This is important. Your standing in Christianity doesn't come from you. It comes from God. Look what he says in verse 3. His divine power, not, not our effort, not our nationality, not our affluence. It's his divine power has granted to us what? All things that pertain to what? Life and godliness. Don't you dare believe otherwise. He supplies to us everything that we need to succeed in life and to live a life of godliness. And how does he do that? It tells us through the knowledge of him. That Greek word there, knowledge, is an experiential knowledge. It's not just a head knowledge, not a fact knowledge. It's a, I know because I've been there. I know that person through a knowledge of him. Now look, buckle up here. This is where the Greek gets a little crazy in our English translation. Look at how this sentence finishes. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Do what? Do what? Sometimes it's hard to string all these thoughts together. Let me help you. Here's, here's my summary of what Peter just said in those last few verses. There are precious promises available to you if you have an experiential knowledge of Jesus. And as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, your desires will become more like his. And that growth will help you flee sin and walk in godliness. There are promises available to you. And if you'll grow in the way you experience your relationship with Jesus, your desires will change and you'll be able to become more like him and you'll walk in freedom. Here's what he's saying. If you struggle in some aspect of your Christian walk today, you don't need more you. You don't need more effort. You don't need more anything. You need more relationship with Jesus. You, you don't need more will and self-determination and I'm going to do this and I know I didn't do it yesterday the way I thought and I know I didn't do it the day before that, but today I'm not going to focus on not doing that. Today I'm going to focus on following him and being like him. I'm going to wake up and try not to not pray. I'm going to wake up and seek God's face and through pursuing a relationship with him, this is what happens. If I'm walking this way, toward pursuing God, I'm walking away from the things that are keeping me bound. And Peter's trying to tell us there is promises available to you. There's a way to live that you don't access because of your own effort. You access it because of his divine power in your life. As you grow in your relationship with him, you will continue to grow away from those things and towards him. Y'all following me today? Watch closely. Here's where we're going. The next passage is going to take us just a few weeks to fully unpack. But I'm going to read it today. We're going to connect some dots, and then we're going to close. Watch closely. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 11. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, 
and brotherly affection with love. And for if these qualities are yours, what does it say? And are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Last verse. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Watch these verses. Make every effort to supplement. Be all the more diligent if these are increasing, if you practice in this way there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom is peter really saying that in order to get to heaven we have to supplement what jesus did for us with effort of our own is that what he's saying careful if you don't know you're going to make some effort in your life that aren't going to line up with god's word didn't he just tell us that it was his divine power and glory and excellence by which we become partakers in his divine nature. So which is it? On, on one hand, if you read the first part, it seems like God's got this. I don't have to do anything. And then the second part, if we're not careful, it, it'll make it seem like it's all on me that I got to make sure that I get there. Look what apologist D.A. Carson said when he explains it this way. The dominant biblical pattern is neither let go and let God nor God has done his bit and now it's all up to you. But rather, since God is powerfully at work in you, you must make every effort. Look at this. Spiritual growth involves God's resources as the foundation, but also our responsible effort in addition. You won't grow spiritually if you don't deliberately work at it. Big deal. Big deal. I really like the way the New Living Translation says this. Look at this, 2 Peter 1.5. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. God's got promises available to us through salvation. But we've got the opportunity to respond to God's promises. And in lieu of what he's done for us, we can add to our spiritual growth through the things that we do. Probably the best illustration I've ever heard about this involves cake. Everybody loves cake. Everybody loves cake. What's your favorite cake? Let me hear you. Hey, if y'all don't know about Gidry's Red Velvet, let me just tell you. Let, let me tell you. I found this out. The, the gas station by Spanish Lake down 182, headed this way, they've got a little cooler with those cupcakes in it. It's dangerous because they sell them by six, right? So in my house, there's not enough for me to share with everybody, so I just keep them all for myself while I'm driving back and forth um, to, to, to Lafayette. If they would sell seven, I would share, but they don't. They only, sell, they only sell five. There's two main parts to a cake. I want you to follow me. I'm going somewhere with this. Don't get, I know it's lunchtime. Two main parts to a cake. There's the cake, right? The cake substance. We'll consider that salvation, right? It, it represents our right standing before God. And then there's the frosting. How many of you are fans of the frosting, right? 
frosting represents our sanctification. It, it represents this process by which we grow closer to him and less like this world. The, the frosting is our spiritual growth as we walk with the Lord. And I want you to think about this in terms of your salvation and in terms of a cake. Displayed throughout eternity in the, master's, in the master baker's bakery will be a vast array of cakes. All different kind of cakes will be there. There will be simple, plain cakes. There will be elaborate cakes. There will be single-tier cakes. There will be multi-tier cakes. There will be white cakes, and there will be black cakes. For those of you that think that your color cake is the only cake going to end up in heaven. There, there's even Baptist cakes and charismatic cakes, too, that are going to be there in, in heaven. I may be drawing this illustration out a little too far, but while I'm at it, there's going to be conservative cakes and liberal cakes in heaven as well. How many of you just want to focus on the cake and not what kind? And listen, you have to be a cake. You have to have salvation in order to enter. And every real cake will enter and be in the master baker's eternal bakery. And our Father is pleased to receive even the plainest cakes. Why? Because He made them. Even the most simplest cakes, He made it. He is pleased to receive those to us. But what blesses him is to see them beautifully decorated. Frosting and sprinkles and waves and fondant and writing and colors and flowers and all the things. He bakes the cake and everything you need to bake that cake, he provides in his kitchen. Salvation is a free gift of God to all who believe and receive Jesus. But listen to me. What you do with that cake, once it's baked, that's up to you. You can frost it with virtue. You can sprinkle it with a little more knowledge. You can decorate it with self-control. You can place on it some godliness, maybe bits of brotherly affection. God provides you the cake when you're saved. Entrance to heaven and eternity with him is all part of that cake that you receive. But you present to him what you decorate that cake with in the way you live and grow and mature here on earth. Y'all see what I'm talking about here? That's what he's saying. How many of you would like some cake right now? Like right? Well, I've got news for you. I've got some cake. I, I, I've, I've got some cake. Thank you, Cecil. Y'all give it up for Cecil. Hey, listen. You always applaud the man that brings you cake. Always applaud the man that brings you cake. Um, I've got three cakes uh, on, on this table here, uh, and I'm going to do my best uh, to describe these cakes because these cakes all represent Christians or people that may be here in the room today. You, you may be represented by one of these cakes that are here right now. And I, I want to tell you, uh, this cake is, is very plain. It is, it is just cake. No frosting, no anything. Anybody want just the plain, the plain cake today? Some of y'all are holding out for the others. You want to see what, what else is here. Um, two of these, two of these are cakes, and two of them look just the same. I'm going to explain that as we go. Um, also here with me, I have a cake that is frosted what looks to be in chocolate with lots of sprinkles. Somebody amen for some sprinkles. And I have another cake right here beside it that is also frosted in chocolate with some sprinkles 
as well. And here's the challenge. I can't tell the difference between these two cakes. I can see the difference between the plain cake and the decorated cakes, but I can't see the difference. Let me tell you about this first cake, the plain cake. It's definitely cake. I I can tell, but it hasn't been decorated. It's content just to get to heaven as it is. Just content. But it's going to be missing out on the best parts of life, isn't it? Absolutely. Without effort, you can take this cake out of the oven, and without effort, there will be no spiritual growth to this cake. Now, will this cake end up in the bakery for all eternity in heaven? Yes? It will. Why? Because it's cake. And the master made it. And salvation isn't of our effort. It's a gift from God for those who believe in Jesus. This cake will be in heaven. Let me tell you about the second cake. The second cake is frosted cake with a little bit of sprinkles. It's, it's definitely cake, but let me tell you about this one. Someone spent some effort on this cake. Now, let's be honest. It wasn't Pastor Don. Miss Kayla made this cake. And just like Miss Kayla, this cake will enter into eternity having grown spiritually and having added to what God began when you were saved. That's what it looks like. Let me tell you about the third cake. The third cake is really just frosted cardboard. That's all it is. It looks the part, but when you go to cut into it, you're going to be very disappointed because it is literally just cardboard. This cake has never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior and is missing the substance to its salvation. Oh, it looks like it's going to heaven, just like the other one. Somebody's spending a lot of effort and a lot of time to look the part, to show up every single Sunday, to dress the way you think you should dress, to talk the way you think you should talk, to do all the things you think it should do. But this cake, maybe there's a cake in here, in this room, that would represent this as well. It's not cake. It's just cardboard. It's frosted cardboard. I see this in Scripture, Matthew chapter 7. These are Jesus' words. They're not mine. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Man, that's a scary verse, y'all. That verse tells me that I can do all the stuff. I can put out all the effort and still never know Jesus. Matthew 7 is talking to us about frosted cardboard. No relationship with Jesus. Which cake are you today? Which cake are you? I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. I don't want you moving around or rustling about. I just want you to listen for just a minute. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us today. I told you earlier, there are precious promises available to you if you have an experiential relationship with Jesus. Not if you know who he is, but does he know you? Does he know you? Jesus was talking to a very religious man 
a leader, somebody other people would look up to and, 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 and go and, and seek wisdom from. And here's what he told this man. He said, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. Jesus didn't say anything about your church attendance. He didn't say anything about saying or doing all the right things that make you look like a Christian. That's just frosting. That's not cake. You say, well, Pastor Don, how do I know if there's cake in my life? How do I know if I have an experiential relationship with Jesus? How do I know that if I died today, the next face I would see would be the face of Jesus? I would tell you those ingredients are very simple. I can talk about them by using A, B, C. A stands for admit. If you're here today, maybe for the first time, and you can admit that you're a sinner, that your own choices, your own choosing has separated you from a righteous and loving God. His perfect standard, you've fallen short because of the decisions that you've made. If the Holy Spirit is working in your life, baking that cake towards salvation, you'll be able to admit that. Here's the second thing. B stands for believe. And it's not just admitting my sin, but it's believing that God sent his son Jesus to live a life that I couldn't live, to pay a debt I was supposed to pay in a way that I could never do it. And maybe for the first time you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I've never believed that Jesus came just for me. Talking about the ingredients to the cake of salvation, A is admit, B is believe, here's C. C is confess. Confess. Confess him as Lord and Savior. You hear me say it often. Savior is the easy one when your life's a mess, when you're holding on to, to nothing and there's nothing left and it's a mess and you can't see your way out of it. Everybody wants a Savior, but it's the Lord part that really matters. Can you confess with your mouth that Jesus' way is better than your way, that you're willing to give him the reins, the wheel to your life to drive? It's no longer his decision, or no longer your decision, but his decision that you live for today. That's the difference. How do you keep from living a life of frosted cardboard to go to have cake that you can decorate and work on and build and grow spiritually? A, you admit. B, you believe. And C, you confess. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, for the first time in my life, I can admit, and I believe, and I'm ready to confess, and I want to spend eternity with Jesus. Up to this point, I think I've been missing something in my life, and I now see what it is. I'm ready to receive and walk in his divine promises for my life. Here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to lead you in a prayer. And it's not the prayer that saves you. The Holy Spirit has saved you. We're just acknowledging what God has already done in your life, mixing these ingredients today. But if you're here and you say, Pastor Don, I want to pray today to be born again. I want to ask you. Everybody's head is bowed. The eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. But I want to know who I'm praying with today. Can I invite you right there where you're seated to just raise your hand? Raise your hand and look up at me so I can see you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. I'm looking. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you, you two sitting together. I see your hand. I'm so proud of you. Thank you, I see your hand. I'm looking up in the balcony right now. Thank you, I see your hand. 
Thank you. I see your hand. One more time, and then we'll pray. I don't want you to miss this opportunity. I think God's speaking to you right now. Oh, there's a lot to do from here forward, but we get to do it out of joy because God's baking a cake in your life today. One more time, raise your hand if you didn't raise it before, and then we'll pray. Thank you. I see your hand. Hey, I'm glad I asked again. I think God's going to do something incredible in your life. Thank you. I'll stay here all day if we need to. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. First time today, I'm so proud. I know God's speaking to you. The Christians in this room are praying also. I, one, one more time, I don't want to miss this. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize or over-centralize this. I'm not after the number. I want God to work in your life. I see you. I'm glad I asked again. I know you barely raised your hand, but I want you to start walking with your head held high and your chest high because God's done something in your life that means something today. It means something today. Those of you that raised your hands, I want you to pray this prayer with me and I'm gonna ask all of us to pray this prayer out loud, indicative of the fact that nobody walks through Christianity alone. Say this with me, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God and I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame and my guilt and you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's celebrate church with those who were born again today.